0: This is Chapter Sixteen of The American Claimant. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The American Claimant by Mark Twain, Chapter Sixteen Brady arrived with a box, and departed, after saying, "'They are finishing one up, but they'll be along as soon as it's done.' Barrow took a frameless oil portrait a foot square from the box, set it up in a good light, without comment, and reached for another, taking a fugitive glance at Tracy, meantime." The stony solemnity in Tracy's face remained as it was, and gave out no sign of interest. Barrow placed the second portrait beside the first, and stole another glance while reaching for a third. The stone image softened a shade. Number three forced the ghost of a smile, number four swept indifference wholly away, and number five started a laugh which was still in good and hearty condition when number fourteen took its place in the row oh you're all right yet said barrow you see you're not past amusement the pictures were fearful as to color and atrocious as to drawing and expression but the feature which squelched animosity and made them funny was a feature which could not achieve its full force in a single picture but required the wonder-working assistance of repetition One loudly-dressed mechanic in stately attitude, with his hand on a cannon ashore, and a ship riding at anchor in the offing—this is merely odd. But when one sees the same cannon and the same ship in fourteen pictures in a row, and a different mechanic standing watch in each, the thing gets to be funny. "'Explain—explain these aberrations,' said Tracy. "'Well?' They are not the achievement of a single intellect, a single talent. It takes two to do these miracles. They are collaborations. The one artist does the figure, the other the accessories. The figure artist is a German shoemaker with an untaught passion for art. The other is a simple-hearted old Yankee sailorman, whose possibilities are strictly limited to his ship, his cannon, and his patch of petrified sea. They work these things up from twenty-five-cent tin types. They get six dollars apiece for them, and they can grind out a couple a day when they strike what they call a boost—that is, an inspiration. People actually pay money for these calumnies? They actually do—and quite willingly, too—and these abortionists could double their trade and work the women in, if Captain Saltmarsh could whirl a horse in, or a piano, or a guitar, in place of his cannon the fact is he fatigues the market with that cannon even the mail market i mean these fourteen in the procession are not all satisfied one is an old independent fireman and he wants an engine in place of the cannon another is a mate of a tug and wants a tug in place of the ship and so on and so on but the captain can't make a tug that is deceptive and fire engine is many flights beyond his power this is a most extraordinary form of robbery i never have heard of anything like it it's interesting yes and so are the artists they are perfectly honest men and sincere and the old sailor man is full of sound religion and is as devoted a student of the bible and misquoter of it as you can find anywhere i don't know a better man or kinder-hearted old soul than saltmarsh although he does swear a little sometimes He seems to be perfect. I want to know him, Barrow. You'll have the chance. I guess I hear them coming now. We'll draw them out on their art, if you like." The artists arrived and shook hands with great heartiness. The German was forty and a little fleshy, with a shiny bald head and a kindly face and deferential manner. Captain Saltmarsh was sixty, tall, erect, powerfully built, with coal-black hair and whiskers, and he had a well-tanned complexion and a gait and countenance that were full of command, confidence, and decision. His horny hands and wrists were covered with tattoo-marks, and when his lips parted, his teeth showed up white and blemishless. His voice was the effortless deep bass of a church organ, and would disturb the tranquillity of a gas flame fifty yards away. "'They are wonderful pictures,' said Barrow. "'We've been examining them. It is very pleasant Don't you like them.' Said Handel, the German, greatly pleased. Und you, Herr Tracy, you have been pleased to meet them, too, already? I can honestly say I have never seen anything just like them before. Schön! cried the German delightedly. You hear, Captain? Here is a gentleman, yes, for to abbreviate unser Art. The Captain was charmed and said, Well, sir, we're thankful for a compliment, yet, though they're not as scarce now as they used to be before we made a reputation getting the reputation is the uphill time in most things captain it's so it ain't enough to know how to reef a casket you got to make the mate know you know it that's reputation the good word said at the right time that's the word that makes us and evil be to him that evil thinks as isaiah says it's very relevant and hits the point exactly said tracy where did you study art captain i haven't studied it's a natural gift he is born meet those cannon in him he don't have to do nodding his genius do all the work off he is asleep and take a pencil in his hand out come a cannon By gracious off he could do a clavier off he could do a guitar off he could do a vashtob it is a fortune heiliger Johannes! it is used a fortune well it is an immense pity that the business is hindered and limited in this unfortunate way." The captain grew a trifle excited himself, now. "'You've said it, Mr. Tracy. Hindered? Well, I should say so. Why, look here! This fellow here, number 11, he's a hackman—a flourishing hackman, I may say. He wants his hack in this picture—wants it where the cannon is. I got around that difficulty by telling him the cannons our trademark, so to speak—proves that the picture's our work.' and I was afraid if we left it out, people wouldn't know for certain if it was a saltmarsh handle. Now, you wouldn't yourself—' "'What, Captain?' "'You wrong yourself. Indeed you do. Anyone who has once seen a genuine saltmarsh handle is safe from imposture forever. Strip it, flay it, skin it out of every detail but the bare color and expression, and that man will still recognize it.' Still, stopped to worship. Oh, how it makes me feel to hear those expressions! Still, say to himself again, as he had said a hundred times before, the art of the salt marsh handle is an art apart. There is nothing in the heavens above or in the earth beneath that resembles it. By chimney, nur horen sie einmal! In my life, I haven't I never heard so precious words? So I talked him out of the hack, Mister Tracy, and he let up on that and said, "Put in a hearse then." because he's chief mate of a hearse, uh, but don't own it. Stands a watch for wages, you know. But I can't do a hearse any more than I can a hack. So here we are, becalmed, you see. And it's the same with women and such. They come, and they want a little genre picture. It's the accessories that make it a genre? Yes, cannon, or cat, or any little thing like that, that you heave in to whoop up the effect.' we could do a prodigious trade with the women if we could foreground the things they like but they don't give a damn for artillery mine's the lack continued the captain with a sigh andy's end of the business is all right i tell you he's an artist from way back just hear that old man he always talk pout me like dot purred the pleased german look at his work yourself fourteen portraits in a row and no two of them alike now that you speak of it it is true i hadn't noticed it before it is very remarkable unique i suppose i should say so that's the very thing about andy he discriminates discrimination's the thief of time forty-ninth psalm but that ain't any matter it's the honest thing and it pays in the end yes he certainly is great in that feature one is obliged to admit it but now mind i'm not really criticizing don't you think he is just a trifle over strong in technique the captain's face was knocked expressionless by this remark it remained quite vacant while he muttered to himself technique technique polytechnique pyrotechnique that's it likely fireworks too much color then he spoke up with serenity and confidence and said well yes he does pile it on pretty loud but they all like it you know fact is it's the life of the business take that number nine there evans the butcher he drops into the studio as sober-colored as anything you ever see now look at him you can't tell him from scarlet fever well it pleases that butcher to death i'm making a study of a sausage wreath to hang on the cannon and i don't really reckon i can do it right but if i can we can break the butcher unquestionably your confederate uh, i mean your uh, your fellow craftsman is a great colorist oh danke schön in fact a quite extraordinary colorist, a colorist, I make bold to say, without imitator here or abroad, and with a most bold and effective touch, a touch like a battering-ram, and a manner so peculiar and romantic and extraneous and ad libitum and heart-searching that, that he, he is an impressionist, I presume. No, said the captain simply, he is a Presbyterian. It accounts for it all, all there's something divine about his art soulful unsatisfactory yearning dim hearkening on the void horizon vague murmuring to the spirit out of ultramarine distances and far-sounding cataclysms of uncreated space oh if he if he has he ever tried distemper the captain answered up with energy not if he knows himself but his dog has, and oh no, it was not my dog, why you said it was your dog, oh no, Captain, it I... was a white dog, wasn't it, with his tail docked and one ear gone, and dots him, dot's him, der fairy dog, by by George, that dog he would eat baint used the same, like well, never mind that now, vast heaving, I never saw such a man. You start him on that dog, and he'll dispute a year blame it if i haven't seen him keep it up a level two hours and a half why captain said barrow i guess that must be hearsay no sir no hearsay about it he disputed with me i don't see how you stood it oh you've got to if you run with andy but it's the only fault he's got ain't you afraid of acquiring it oh no said the captain tranquilly no danger of that i reckon the artists presently took their leave Then Barrow put his hands on Tracy's shoulders and said, "'Look me in the eye, my boy. Steady, steady. There. It's just as I thought—hoped, anyway. You're all right, thank goodness. Nothing the matter with your mind. But don't do that again, even for fun. It isn't wise. They wouldn't have believed you if you'd been an earl's son. Why, they couldn't. Don't you know that? Whatever possessed you to take such a freak?' But never mind about that. Let's not talk of it. It was a mistake. You see that yourself. Yes, it was a mistake. Well, just drop it out of your mind. It's no harm. We all make them. Pull your courage together, and don't brood, and don't give up. I'm at your back, and we'll pull through. Don't you be afraid." When he was gone, Barrow walked the floor a good while, uneasy in his mind. He said to himself, "'I'm troubled about him.' He never would have made a break like that if he hadn't been a little off his balance. But I know what being out of work and no prospect ahead can do for a man. First it knocks the pluck out of him and drags his pride in the dirt. Worry does the rest, and his mind gets shaky. I must talk to these people. No, if there's any humanity in them—and there is, at bottom—they'll be easier on him if they think his troubles have disturbed his reason but i've got to find him some work work's the only medicine for his disease poor devil away off here and not a friend End of chapter 16.